to Trek Companion. Uh, I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embrees. This is uh, episode 31, our special section 31 episode <laughs> of uh, our Trek Companion podcast. Uh, today we're going to be discussing DS9's fifth season, uh, episodes for the uniform, as well as the two-parter in Purgatory's Shadow and by Inferno's Light, which we're going to discuss as uh, one discussion. And we're going to close with Dr. Bashir, I presume. Let's do it. <laughs> For the Uniform, Season 5, Episode 13, Production Number 511, Original Air Date, February 3rd, 1997, Written by Peter Allen Fields, Directed by Victor Lobel, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Kenneth Marshall as Michael Eddington, Eric Pierpont as Sanders, and Aaron Eisenberg as Nog. Cisco is on the hunt for Michael Eddington, his former Starfleet security chief, who betrayed him and joined the Maquis. Obsessed with capturing the traitor, Sisko pursues him in the Defiant, but when Sisko gives the order to fire, the Defiant experiences a massive computer failure caused by Eddington. He leaves Sisko angry and humiliated and facing a long trip home. Now Sisko must become the villain who Eddington has cast him in this cat-and-mouse hunt that pushes Sisko to his limits of right and wrong. A Starfleet security officer is fascinated by a 19th century French melodrama, And now, he's a leader of the Maquis, a resistance group fighting the noble battle against the evil Cardassians. It sounds like he's living out his own fantasy. All right. uh, Our old friend, Michael Granfield, was excited to hear us uh, discuss this one. um, We are excited to provide that discussion. I gotta say, I really enjoyed this episode. Yeah, I mean, I did. I really, I mean, it's to me, it's kind of like a setup for um, what we're going to see between um, Cisco and Dakot coming up mm-hmm. in the next couple seasons. But I, re- I really liked it. I mean, I, I think I liked this. I wasn't, ex- you know, didn't quite have that feeling going into it. And I'm like, you know, this is a really good episode. So, so you remembered it. It was better than you remembered. You're saying correct, correct. I mean, you know, we see. I mean, we see a really dark side of Cisco in this um, in this episode. I mean, he really gets. Um, gets angry and, and passionately angry about what, what's going on with um, Eddington, and it, it really pushes him. I mean, and you know, what he does in this episode, um, I think, is very questionable for a Starfleet captain to do, you know, later oh, in the yeah. episode. Now, I remember, I remember the first time I saw it, and when Cisco comes out onto the, the bridge and he gives that order that they're going to they're use a, their own biogenic uh, weapon, and, and he gives the order, uh, and there's, like, silence on the bridge. I felt the exact same way. You know, I remember my mouth kind of being agape at that point. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure that it – answer a, just a narrative question for me. At the end, here, just, are they saying um, that they, they made – he made a, just a planet uninhabitable by humans, and um, – Eddington made a planet uninhabitable by Cardassians, or yeah. was it the entire planet was uninhabitable by anybody? I think I at the end, at the end when he's talking in his log, um, yeah, it's just it, they swap. They they pretty much soften the blow of what Cisco did. Yeah, at the, at so the very end. Yeah, that's why I'm asking this because I don't remember that. But now that I experienced that aspect of it, it does kind of soften it a great deal. Um, but you know, trying to get aside from that. It is. It is still crazy that he would do this. And, and well, I think uh, what's crazy about it, they don't explain it at, at the time. 
they explain it later. So, you know, when you're watching that in the moment, it seems like, yeah, he's just going to wipe this planet out of, of any inhabitants for 50 years. Um, but so, yeah, I think that's, they, they set it up that way. So, and then later they go, well, you know, it, it wasn't that harsh. <laughs> so I guess I wish they hadn't backed off on it a little there. But, yeah. uh, Steve, but he doesn't get any there? punishment either, so that's kind of a strange thing. It strikes you weird, you know. I mean, especially if it had been to- totally blowing the thing for any life or whatever and stuff. You know, it seems like he gets off with nothing. There's no punishment at all. So it just seems strange, you know. Yeah, it's 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 not only not in keeping with um, established Star Trek, but it's not in keeping with. <laughs> in any sense of good or yeah uh, you know yeah, you think about i don't know what's another example of a bio weapon in uh, nemesis they used a bio yeah. weapon you know that was like the worst thing ever yeah. um so steve we've both talked about our reaction then versus now do you does it still seem as as nutty to you does it does it seem, so are you saying it's, it's disingenuous because he 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 doesn't um face any kind of repercussions from this action yeah that's that's really the only thing that strikes me i mean he, he kind of it, it's uh yeah it's a big deal and it should be a big deal what he's doing but he's so um he's so obsessed about it by the end and he's pulling off this strategy that it's not an absolute shock but but yeah like i said it's, it's it does seem odd that he uh, doesn't receive any kind of punishment i'm not sure what, what that would be you know the punishment but that's not, yeah, that's what strikes me. You know what this episode reminded me of? A, 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 an episode of the original series, Obsession. Do you guys remember that one? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, so it could kind of remind me of that. And, and you know, you got the captain that's that's obsessed with finding this villain, basically. You know, and he's willing to do anything, um, including violating, you know, everything that he knows. Um, you know, and then the other the other side of that that it reminds me of with Cisco is, um, you know, Pale Moonlight. The next season when we're going to see Cisco do something questionable, <laughs> yeah, very questionable. Yeah. Um, so it's a question of of the greater good. So there's an, that's another thing then too. Let's say if I look at this from the point of view of of um, it's not a personal vendetta from Cisco. He's got to do anything he can to capture Eddington. Well, he's he's um, displacing, and in the very least, displacing all the humans on this planet for fifty years. Surely, other things are going to die. You even have to wonder: Do all the humans get away? They must, because he had to. He would have yeah, faced repercussions if that didn't happen. Um, is all of that? worth him bringing in one man <laughs> yeah, I know. that seems like a, a stretch that i can't justify any, any i can only justify that i can only see that if it's personal vendetta and personal vendetta is not enough justification starfleet would have responded you know yeah uh-huh. yeah yeah doesn't seem that he should get off <laughs> <laughs> Well, we definitely don't ever see, I don't think, I was trying to think back, you know, all the questionable things like um, Picard or Kirk or, Jay, or any of them had done. And um, yeah, I think this is probably the the most questionable decision any of the captains had ever made up to this point. Um, well, yeah, we, we certainly got a lot of crazy Archer stuff, season three Enterprise, you know, some of the things that he did. Um, but I think there it's, you know... <laughs> He's, he's trying to save a planet. He's not 
Uh, you know, it's, right, it's, it's easier the, to justify. Yeah, it's the it's the goal here, or the end result is what's <laughs> the thing. So the, the, he's for just capturing this one guy. That's what the trade off is. Yeah, that's that's the strange part. That's the question. Maybe it's just be, maybe it's because you know Eddington himself up the ante when he uh, used a bio uh, right. weapon. Maybe that if is, he hadn't have done that. Yeah, that is one way you could justify. It's like this guy might go off and use this on as many planets as he wants to, and it's got to stop, you know. So if he felt the only strategy to to do that was this, then you know, I suppose you could kind of justify it. Um, do you think they did this intentionally? Do you think um, they really had to give Cisco a contrast because we've gotten into the, you know lately, you know, of him being the emissary and him being mm-hmm. this like holy figure where. You almost put him on a pedestal, and I mean, to me, this episode really knocks him down, makes him really look human and, and flawed and frailed in a lot well, of ways. We've, we've talked about how you know he's the captain that kind of wears his heart on his sleeve. You've got that scene with him with uh, Dax holding the punching bag, and he's mm-hmm. just beating the crap out of it, and he's he's just a man, and he beat me, and he's so angry. Mm-hmm. And it's another one of those scenes where you're like, I'm trying to imagine, you know, another captain uh, doing that. Maybe maybe Archer. Yeah, I can see Archer in season three of Enterprise, and that's about it. I can't see, you know, Kirk or or, or Spock or Janeway, you know, anybody uh, else reacting this way. Would you say um, Picard got close in first contact? I mean, we're jumping to a, a ship now, but yeah, yeah, no, I can see that. Sure. Um, but again, it's it's so much easier to justify. Justify the reactions when it's not. Yes, it's personal. Even in that case, it's a good example of something where you know Picard's having a personal reaction, but he is trying to save a planet. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So. Well, the, my question. I mean, like, what do you think their reasoning was behind this? I mean, do you think I'm writing this in there because I had to be aware of it when they were putting this episode together that this was going to be a, a dark moment for Cisco? What was? Um, I'm just asking. What do you think the motivation? Was. Well, it's. I think it's probably what a lot of DS9 is. You know, this is the show where they tell us everything isn't perfect in the future. You know, the Federation, it's it's not paradise, as we've had, you know, many Trek episodes about things aren't perfect in paradise. Um, yeah, pushing limits in general, pushing limits on this show. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, no, th- we could talk all day about this, you know, question of, of was he going too far? Was this acceptable? Was this, you know, I think we're all, sounds like we're kind of agreeing that he should have faced some kind of repercussions for this. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's also a common refrain for us when we're discussing. Um, well, probably if we were discussing any Star Trek, we'd feel that way. Um, but there were, there were plenty of things I, I liked about this episode. But you know now, now let's ask the question of is it, is it overall a good episode? So Adam, you felt like it was better than you remembered. Um, for me, it was a little bit slightly clunkier than I remember. There's still a lot of cool things in it. I really like I really like um, you know bringing the defiant that whole sequence where they they take the defiant out even though it's you know massively damaged. Taking it out is great. Having Nog like relaying all, all of the orders. Um, audibly like you know it gives it this that real submarine effect uh you know the 50s submarine movies and um it makes it very exciting i really liked all of that um but it felt 
I'll put it this way. It felt a little bit clunkier overall with these kinds of things we're talking about with Cisco. It felt clunkier in the timeline of DS9 and in the time and, and in the character arch of Cisco to me. It did seem like a little bit of a stretch. It did seem like he got here too fast. Now, you know, I can say the opposite thing. In, in the pale moonlight, you know, mm-hmm. sixth season, right? Isn't that sixth season? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the questionable thing that he does, it, it feels, and I haven't watched it in a while, so maybe I'll feel differently then. But um, when I when we do, we watch it soon. But it, it felt a little bit more organic. It felt a little bit more natural that he got to this point. It, it didn't feel, you know, it felt a lot more considered. Um, both from the character's point of view and from the writer's point of view. Um, and here it feels like if I was looking at the line of the character arc, you know, there'd be like a very jagged point. Hmm. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. I can sure. see where you're coming from. I like it fine. I'm, I'm probably kind of in the middle. I definitely see both your points. I think it's a it's a fun action adventure romp. I like how it how they kind of just throw you right in at the beginning. I, 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 the, the stuff the those those elements I really like. I also see your point there about how it might be a, a, a little off for you know Cisco in some ways, at least at this point in time. But yeah. The, the other thing that, that was the last thing before we say anything about it's about, the other thing that bugs me is that I do remember it feeling a lot more like it was a much bigger deal when we saw this. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those variety of things we've talked about, um, it, it took some of that power away. One, it took some of the power away that this was such a crazy thing that Cisco did um, because we have that nice little everything's okay line in his, in his um, dialogue there at the end about everything's even now you know that that took something away i don't remember thinking about that line before but i felt it this time that took away the power of his action number two um in Would the you context of in the Go context ahead. of watching the whole series like episode to episode to episode like this his actions felt a little bit disjointed for the character in a way that i didn't feel when i was watching it you know one week at a time over the course of seven years see that so would you have liked this episode better if they didn't add that um balance at the end yes i i, I think that would have, i think it just took it took some of the power of his action away okay. um i ideally which you can't do that but i think that he should i don't know if somebody should have died but there should have been something some uh repercussion of something you know okay if you look at it from the point of view of watching this episode at the end of it yeah hell they could teach this episode of starfleet academy right they could mm-hmm. teach it, and everybody would be like great okay i know what to do when i'm in that situation you know why wouldn't you do that <laughs> hey it's just gonna we got plenty of m-class planets <laughs> take them off that planet they can go live somewhere else no harm no foul and we capture captured eddington it's great you know there's got to be some reason while why why uh cisco could regret this action or why somebody else wouldn't do it or why we have a conversation about holy crap i can't believe he did that but instead we have a conversation about well you know everything's even now because uh, eddington did it to one planet and they just moved and it's cool you know oh i I definitely agree with you i think they they took a lot out of the i mean out of this episode i think when they wrote it and they had it all finished and they're like I, I seriously, I think they looked at it like, oh, wow, we kind of really kind of crossed the line and they softened it in back off. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I think that was just how it was in the 90s. I think if you if if that were made today, we see that sci fi is a little bit darker and a little bit edgier. Um, I, I like the storyline because it's a little bit real to life. It's like what you're a captain. You're obsessed with this guy. Oh, by the way, Michael Eddington. I can't remember his name off 
the actor's name off the top of my head, but I thought guy. he made it. Yeah, he, the Cole, the, the Cole guy. He made a pretty good villain, and it was a nice yeah. surprise because we see him so, um, through the series. Obviously, you know when he betrayed when he left the station and joined the Maquis. He was, you know, we didn't really, you know, we're like, wow, that's crazy. But he played the villain very well. I think he played did a very good job playing the villain in this in this role. You know, I believed Cisco's irritation what he was doing you know you you, you mm-hmm. felt that 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 emotion and that irritation and you got that from eddington what he was doing to cisco um and i thought he did a good job and obviously we're going to see one more episode with eddington and it kind of resolves everything but i i like the storyline i thought i like where it went i like the michael eddington character where they developed him mm-hmm. and gave him some depth we don't we don't see that with all the secondary characters we see in ds9 but that, i thought they did a good job with him well, so for what it's about, I, I think that they um, were trying for uh, the same kind of thing that original series episode of Obsession tries for, you know, where where this obsession um, just, just drives you too far. Um, and, you know, it's it's a man. In fact, it's it's just like uh, the, you know, he's, he's talking about makes that Les Miserables comparison. Um, and Cisco uses it to his advantage, but you think about... Um, it was uh, what was the, what's the Lee Mazarov character Val Valjean or no? That's Val the that's, that was the good guy or the bad guy. Uh, anyway, you know, is, is, <laughs> are you are you driven to this point that you're not even being? You know, these things aren't balanced anymore, and you're not. You're, it's not a, a rational response anymore because you're not even thinking about it. You're just obsessed, for, and you're obsessed. So, uh, what do you guys have for what it's about? Yeah, I would I would concur obsession and then of course moral ambiguity when pursuing an obsession and such. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I definitely agree. I would say, you know, how ego and emotion can um clash with each other and like I said, and it, it faces you with tough choices and sometimes you make the right ones, sometimes you don't. I, I think this episode is about a, a lot of things and they're all um great things to have a conversation about. And from that point of view, you know, the episode holds up by our uh, standards on this show. Um, so it's a good episode. I don't mean to, um, you know, at this point, as we've said, like every episode is going to be good and we're just going to be splitting hair. <laughs> no, I, no, I agree with what you said about its weaknesses for sure, Brian. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. And the last thing I got to say about this episode Oh my God! Hollow emitter is so stupid. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. I remember hating it at the time. I still hate it. I'm glad that apparently everybody else hated it because they didn't keep it there. You know? you would, would you have liked it better if it was more like Star Wars? It was more like a flashy image on a little <laughs> yeah, device. Why not just keep it on? Why 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 be Star Wars? You know, <laughs> on Star Trek. Just keep it on the view screen. I'm sorry, it's not as exciting. You know, the only time they kind of pulled it off was in Nemesis a little bit. Um, and they basically did that a little bit more, you know, but you know, I, 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 I like the idea of it. They didn't, it didn't work, but I liked, you know, them trying to push, you know, new technologies and, you know, well, like you know, it was a really big thing for Ron Moore. He was always trying, he was always trying to get them to do that. And then they did it and it just, and it didn't work out. Um, so what did Ron Moore do on his next show? <laughs> he didn't have a view screen. He didn't have anything. It was all just audio, you know, on Battlestar. <laughs> he, went re- he went really to the basics. Yeah. Steve, do you, do you hate it as much as we apparently do? Uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of it. I, I wasn't disgusted by it, but I thought it was yeah. odd. It was just yeah. odd, you know. It just it didn't bother weird. Me. What, what's going on here? It's viewers coming in. It could easily confuse them. Yeah, one of the effects guys talked about... Um, 
he said, well, it, TV is a 2D medium, and you're trying to show that they're having a, this three-dimensional, com- there's a person there in, in a three-dimensional space, and there's not really any way to show that. Maybe, okay, just swing the camera around the guy, but once you do that, it looks like he's really standing there, and they beamed him in, you know, and then that yeah. confuses people. So, yeah, cool. it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, they used it they used it in Our Man for sure and I noticed they they they, they the lighting was they made the character hot. Oh, you mean they Dr. Presume, Dr. Yeah, yeah. Sure, I presume. Yeah, for sure, I presume. But yeah, I noticed yeah. they made a change. And that's the last the time. Yeah, yeah, they they did a better job on that at least cuz you could tell it, he wasn't standing there. It was a different lighting from the rest of the room. But that I think that's the last time they really use it cuz even in Nemesis it's not I think in Nemesis they they do it as if as if he's projecting himself on there, you know, it's not something built into the Enterprise E or something. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. 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 So anyway, um, I hope, uh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, let's move on to six degrees for, for the uniform, for, for the uniform. Um, Adam. Yes. Eric Pierpont plays Sanders, the Federation captain that also gets duped by uh, Eddington, forcing Cisco to continue his hunt. In Next Gen's seventh season episode, Liaisons, Pierpont played Voval. Voval, pretending to be a shuttle pilot, appears to crash his shuttle as he is ferrying Picard. In truth, he is a, an Iaran um, ambassador assigned with studying what human emotion? That would this, be love. Oh, you are correct. It was love. Yeah. For no bonus points, how does he do that? <laughs> he um <laughs> he disables um Picard and traps him in some cargo hold on a desolate planet and pretends to be um a hot girl, which is yes. kind of disturbing later on in the episode. And it and, but it doesn't really work, does it? Mm. No, no. It wasn't one of the better ones. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I was shocked that that was a seventh season episode. I thought it yeah. was earlier. I always do that with Next Gen, though. Yeah, I, I, I remember watching that episode and going, oh, that, that was her. You know, it was just kind of left, left you disconjointed. <laughs> All right, uh, Adam has one. Um, Steve. Yes. Pierpont also played a Section 31 covert operative uh, named Harris in several episodes of Enterprise. In which season of Enterprise did all of his episodes take place? Huh. All right. Uh, about it's funny because he looks exactly like he does. Uh, <laughs> this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have a three. That is incorrect. Uh, I don't know. Should I? Should, should Adam have a shot at this? Since obviously there's guess, only three other options. Yeah. Okay. Oh. That's fair. Three is enough. Uh, Adam. Um, I'll say four. You are correct. It was season four. Three. Three is the. Um, the Zindi arc. That's the, um, that's the, <laughs> that's where they go off on a tangent. You know, this is how you can remember for all our friends at home. If there's anything cool in the storyline that in any way remotely references any other Star Trek, it's probably Manny Coda, which means season four. <laughs> okay, moving on. 
in Purgatory Shadow, Season 5, Episode 14, Production Number 512, Original Air Date, February 10th, 1997, and by Inferno's Light, Season 5, Episode 15, Production Number 513, Original Air Date, February 17th, 1997, both written by Robert Hewitt Wolf and Iris Stephen Bear, in Purgatory Shadow, directed by Gabriel Beaumont, by Inferno's Light, directed by Les Lindau, music in In Purgatory Shadow by Dennis McCarthy, and in by Inferno's Light, Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Andrew J. Robinson as Garrick, Mark Alamo as Gold Ducat, Melanie Smith as Torres Zial, J.G. Hertzler as General Martok, James Ferran as Ikatika, Terry Stober as Romulan, Jim Palladino as Jim Hadar Guard, Paul Dooley as an Auburn Tane, Robert O'Reilly as Galron, Barry Wiggins as Jim Hadar Officer, Don Fisher as Jim Hadar Guard, and Judy Durand as Station Computer Voice. When the station picks up a mysterious coded message from inside the Gamma Quadrant that appears to be Cardassian, Garrick is asked to analyze it. He finally admits the message is some sort of distress call from his mentor, Anabran Tame, the former head of the Obsidian Order. Garrick convinces Sisko to allow him to travel to the Gamma Quadrant to search for Tame, but Sisko sends Worf along as a chaperone. But when Worf and Garrick find what Worf and Garrick find is much bigger than either of them could have imagined. <clears throat> Trapped in the Gamma Quadrant, Chimadar Prison, Worf and Garrick learn Tane is, is dying, and Dr. Bashir is also a captive, and his counterpart is a changeling aboard the station. When Tane dies, the rest of them begin their plans to escape. Meanwhile, the Dominion has invaded the Alpha Quadrant under a secret pact with the Cardassians that Gal, Gal Dukat made himself. Now the new ruler of Cardassia, Dukat makes makes, with the help of the Dominion, bold and aggressive moves against the Quadrant. Garrick, Worf, and Bashir must escape to warn the station of the danger they are in. I yield. You what? I yield! I cannot defeat this Klingon. All I can do is kill him. And that no longer holds my interest. Boy, I remember these, the first time I saw these two, and I loved them, and I still love them. They're, they're just, they're, they're a hoot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Reactions. Yeah, so, so yeah, it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's, yeah. there's so much information in these episodes. These, these two episodes... <laughs> okay, well, first of all, these are a good example of what I often enjoy so much out of DS9 in particular. And... Uh, episodes that if you didn't know this show and, and you turned this on, you'd be like, what the crap is going on? I have no, I- no idea what's going on. You, know, you really wouldn't. You'd be so confused. Um, but I love that. You know, I love that. And, and, you know, nowadays when they make a show, like every episode is like this, right? But then we had two in a row like this. And then you've got Dr. Bajir, I presume, which is a very, you know, it's a good, fine, it's episode, but it's, it's a standard bottled type of show, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so here we've got this, this thing that we get for years on end since, what, season two or something of this kind of Cold War thing that's going on with uh, the Dominion. And every now and then, you know, a couple of times a season, we have something big like this happen that reminds us what's really going on on the sidelines um, and kind of keeps this simmering, if you will, uh, until they're going to just full on address it you know, in later seasons. Um, but, but they, so many things happen in these, these two episodes. So many questions are asked and answered um, that I, I just really, really enjoy it. Now, of course, my favorite thing 
love Garrick. I love Garrick. I really, really love Garrick. And I remember so clearly the first time seeing this, and I'm certain that I really welled up whenever I realized, whenever I understood, you know, that Tane was Garrick's father. Mm. Now, there was... You could, you might have guessed this before now. Um, we've we've had enough of the mental relationship and enough of incredible dedication from Garrick to Tane, where you had to be like, man, what? There's got to be something more than just they were in the Obsidian Order together, right? You know, there's something. Um, but we'd never got any of these answers. Um, but this is the this is the only time that we got this flat out. This is one of only two things in in all of DS9 where we really get any kind of um, human personal kind of reaction from Garrick or any stories like that and the other you know being oh what was his nanny's name Mila yeah I think, I think so yeah um, now of course this these these few moments here between him between Garrick and Tane is what Andy Robinson the actor that plays Garrick uh, expounds upon in his awesome novel Stitch in Time that we've, we've discussed um, yeah, here. Mm-hmm. Um, but those that moment is so touching when he's talking about, you know, instead of just saying, uh, you know, I'll do this for you, Tane, if you'll just acknowledge me as your father. And instead of Tane saying, I am your father, I love you, and dies, right? Instead <laughs> of that, we get something so much greater. We get... You know, I'm not your father. Um, yeah, he's like, the first, well, he said, um, I should have killed your mother when you were in her yeah. or something. Yeah, so we, we like, that, right. <laughs> should have nice. killed her. And then we get, and do, do you remember that time when you were like five and you were, what was he trying to stay on a horse or something? I heard bike or something, all right? And, um, and Garrick's response, how could I forget that was the only time? That was the only day. Yeah, he said, do you remember that day? How could I forget that was the only day? I was so proud of you that day. And then he dies. And that, that is the exact kind of reason I love Garrick. That is the exact kind of reason I love DS9. You know? I'm, I'm monopolizing the conversation here. Well, what do you guys... That's good. Well, Steve, um, Adam. <laughs> no! no I, <laughs> well, watching this episode, I, I can't help but look at Garrick a little bit different way. You know, it's like... um circumstances you look at like um characters or people and they and they're and they're they're born and they're you know and they're raised in certain circumstances and you know for most of the series we see um we see garrick formed by those circumstances by his father his family and all that kind of thing so it actually kind of made me look at him more and more humanized like you know this is why he is this way this is yeah, what it makes sense that he would spend his life you know lying every because he can't even he can't even say who you know, his father can't, can't won't described. accept him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, you know, and that's what's great about um, really good television series, especially this one in particular. You know, it, this couldn't happen in a movie or you know a one season show or anything like that. Mm-hmm. This is a, yeah. this is a combination of five seasons of learning about Garrick and understanding him and the depth and all that, and you can really feel for him. And at the same time. It, it it happens um, naturally, and it happens inside of this episode that's got plenty of things going on, and action, and, you know, um, lots of other stuff, lots of other stuff going on, and we still can have this this moment, you know? Yeah, this is, sure. a, is this, this 
pair of episodes are very, it's very complete. I mean, there's not much absent that if you like a certain kind of thing out of the show or whatever, you know, you got a little everything here. I mean, it's, it's a relatively complex storyline, but you definitely can follow it. You have, um, uh, the primary, primary characters, secondary characters, you have the touching moments, you have the, you know, anticipation drama events, you know, the intrigue with the, uh, the, uh, founder on the station, all that stuff. It, it's, yeah, it's really good. It's really cool. So um, there was a question you were going to ask, Brian, about a, from a viewer. Oh, right. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. I got his email here. Dan Michalski wrote us and asked, um, uh, greetings. Your podcast continues to be quite entertaining and informative. Informative. Thank you very much. I, I, I wrote, thank you very much. I added that. Okay. <laughs> in, in fact, I mentioned an issue in your last podcast that I'd like you to expand your thoughts on, and that would be the Bashir imposter. As you pointed out, the real Bashir will be discovered in a Dominion detention camp, uh, and that the Bashir we see at least as far back as the episode Rapture is an imposter, which means that the Bashir imposter was in an opportune position to take out both Captain Sisko and Major Kira in the episodes Rapture and The Darkness and the Light dealing a strategic strike against DS9 and Bajor. But instead, the Bashir imposter chooses to save the lives of Sisko and Kira when they suffer possible life-threatening injuries. I've always had difficulty getting uh, the Martok timeline straight of when he was replaced. And when the Bashir enigma was brought to my attention, this wreaked my mind even more. I've heard this issue touched on in other podcasts, but we're most interested in hearing your thoughts. Um, thanks for the email. And uh, I, I forwarded this uh, to the guys, and, and Steve's, Steve immediately replied in an email, <laughs> he had bigger fish to fry. Yeah. <laughs> that pretty much sums it up. I think that's, I think that's what he was yeah. going for. And when you think about, if this had been successful, which, by the way, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Look at that. I've made two fish references. Uh, <laughs> if this had been successful, at the end of this thing, what a perfect dominion, you know, like the, the, the founders kind of thing. Swiping know, everybody to, out. To set it all up to not even fire a shot, as Cisco so eloquently puts it. Um, that is just exactly the, the, who they are. Although there was a little part of me that I was surprised they would have had any plan that, it would, that would have required a changeling to sacrifice yeah, himself. That's true. It's a little odd. But uh, aside from that, which we can discuss if you'd like... Um, this plan had the potential to I mean, why bother taking out Cisco or or Kira? If he had done that back in those episodes, he might have risked exposing himself. Yeah. Well, see, so yeah, I, I have a question. Go ahead. Go away. They're both going to be killed anyway. Everybody, everything here in in this entire quad sector is going to be killed. So you know why risk it when he knew this plan was coming up? Well, I, I was thinking about this, and I don't think he was he was taken back in those episodes. I think that was Bashir. I think the only, I think he was taken, if you notice, Bashir isn't in the uniform. For the uniform, he's not in that episode. Or if he is, it's very faint. So I think that's when he was taken. In the no, previous. well, based because on said, we know was, we know it was at least before Rapture. And well, reason, I, I disagree, because he say four weeks. Yeah, four he, weeks, he says a month. A month. So I think he was taking some time. I mean, I know it just makes more sense to me. Well, the uniform well, is what gives it away. The other, yeah, the other, thi the main thing is his, is his uniform because he's clearly wearing the old uniform. Mm -hmm. So that mean, and we and we got the new uniforms in Rapture. So you could you could make the argument as you're trying to do that it was sooner, but I think that's that would be a lot more. You know, you'd have to come up with a lot more like made up reasons. Well, you know? I don't know. If, well, it's just me. The uniform theory is weak. I mean. 
it's just I, that's just me. I mean, everybody can have their own opinion, but well, you uh, you, know, <laughs> you could I, say because he says that he was uh, kidnapped in his sleep, right? And uh, it's hard to imagine they sleep. Well, he wouldn't. Well, he would say he was kidnapped in his sleep while he was at some um, conference. conference. So yeah. the logical conclusion but also if we have some dates like, and stuff, can't we can't we just flat out say it was before a certain episode? I mean, have yeah, I, 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 I didn't research the star dates on anything here to see this, but I'm just assuming. Yeah, from my point of view, he wasn't taken before the uniform. It just it doesn't make any sense. If well, it, I will say that. Um, if 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 the writer and and you know. The, the writers can say whatever they want, but if it's not said in the episode... Sure, it's up for interpretation. So, you know, they've explained it in a way that, that he had been replaced a few episodes back. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, you know, you're making a different argument. But if, if, that's, if that's the case, um, I was, you know, for one thing, I, I'm disappointed that Bashir... Um, that Sadig, who is a phenomenal actor, love him, but that he plays it a little bit twirly mustache to me. You know, <laughs> watching these two yeah. episodes, it felt like he was playing him evil, and I'm like, well, if he was, he was already a changeling in those other ones, he should have been that way in those episodes. And since he couldn't, and he couldn't because he didn't know until this episode that he had that he was playing a changeling before, and that's fine, <laughs> he didn't know. I, personally, I think he should have just gone on playing it exactly, playing Bashir exactly the same as he did in those other ones. Yeah. Because yeah. it kind of takes some of the power out of those now, you yeah. know, a little bit. Um, now I've read an I read an interview today with him where he talked about all he did was he took out all the little humany stuff, like he took out laughs or you know jokey things or smiles and that sort of thing. But even if that's all you do, if it leaves me feeling like you're like he's now a villain, that's 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 playing it a little too on the nose to me. Uh, we get to see the real Martok, which I'm really glad they brought back. We all oh, yeah, love, yeah. love him. We're going to love him more and more. Hertzler is is perfect. Um, I love the moments between Garrick and well, you know, I didn't even have to specify that since I love Garrick. But I love <laughs> I love the bit between Garrick and Worf near the beginning of the first episode uh, when he's teasing him about <laughs> about wanting to join Starfleet Academy. Oh yeah, yeah, that's funny. It's very funny. Um. <clears throat> Now let's talk about Ducat for a second. Um, he's so just, Ducat, he's Ducat, is such a such a swell guy. Wouldn't you love to have yeah. him for your dad? <laughs> wow! Yeah, sitting here and be damned. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Ducat has made a pact with um, the Dominion, which actually, when you look at it from the point of view of Cardassia's, a Cardassia is getting their butts kicked. Um, B, they've lost all this this former glory and, and see Ducat has been ostracized and wants to return. All, all these things actually make sense, but yeah. Yeah. Strategically, we know that when we say Ducat joined the dominion or Cardassia joined the dominion, but that you really have to put the word joined in quotes. Yeah. <laughs> what it really means is Cardassia is serving the dominion, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think Ducat realizes that, but it's worth it to him, right? Because he's in yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, he yeah. gets all the power. Mm-hmm. So, so you, what, you guys thoughts on on Ducat there? Yeah, yeah, he's a 
in a strategic, you know, it's hard to say. It's hard to it's hard to do it because we're not we're not Cardassians like they really exist. But you know, it's like hard to understand the mindset of the people. It may be that they believe this is a good move, but I think you're right in that it's a good move for Dukat. I mean, that that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to say how good of a move it is for Cardassia. It depends on how desperate of a situation they were in and so forth. But uh, yeah, you you certainly. But it's yeah, it's the it's the whole thing with his daughter. Really, I think that that makes him seem. Um, worse than the real strategic thing with the Dominion. Yeah. Now, obviously, in the at the end of the first episode, whenever he's pleading with her to come with him, you know, it could also be that he. I mean, he knows what's about to happen. Yeah. Um, he knows. I assume he's, he's he knows the whole plan that that this whole sector is going to be wiped out. Hopefully, by a <laughs> probably yeah. You know. Um. Even with that, he leaves her. He when yeah. he yeah. feels like she's. Staying because of Garrick, he's like, okay, stay, knowing that she's going to die. Yeah, she's yeah. Gonna, she's successful. He hates Garrick that much. Oh, that's yeah. That's that's pretty. Um, yeah, the whole thing. That, I love the line that he says to Kira when he's like, you know, it just it never felt right us being on the same side, and that kind of to me that amplifies the last couple seasons where they've tried to make mm-hmm. Ducat fit in with everybody, and it's just been uncomfortable and just like, uh, yeah, you're. You don't belong with us. So, so that so it's nice that he's he's the villain again that we can hate. That's fun. Yeah. Um, but it was almost too far even for that. <laughs> um so it's just so many things so many things happened in this two parter that it's like impossible for us to even discuss everything. Just plot wise, there are so many little things. You know, um uh Gowron reinstates the Kittimer Accords and the Klingons and the Federation are kind of on the same side again. The, the Romulans sh- show up all of a sudden wanting to join in the fight. Um, all these things, all these things happen so fast. Um, the whole, the whole uh, Worf um, storyline in the prison facility when he keeps fighting, you know, five, five bouts and five victories, seven bouts and seven, you know, it's, it's so perfectly Worf and he just, and he, he's, yeah. he's the guy that keeps getting up. He keeps getting up. He keeps getting up. Um, and we totally understand it. And the Jemadar are going to understand it now. And I really love that moment for as much as I uh, love Garrick in this individual episode. My favorite moment is, is probably when the Jemadar first has that, perfect line about I yield I cannot defeat this Klingon all I can do is kill him you know I love I love that line um I I also go ahead I was gonna say it didn't end too well for him <laughs> <laughs> no it didn't <laughs> um I was my my favorite line that Worf gave in this episode it, it was more and it was in the first episode when he's talking to Cisco, and he's, he says about Garrick, if, if I see any deception, I will kill him. <laughs> and I love Cisco's like, I hope you're joking. And he's like, we shall see. <laughs> and just walks off. I'm like, just got to chuckle. I, I love all the, the, the moments in the second one, uh, Garrick and his, his claustrophobia, when he's talking to himself. Those scenes are so well done shot lit the music is really cool there i think this was was this this was jay chataway um it was split uh the first one was dennis mccarthy and the second was jay chataway okay so this so the the jay chataway stuff is the claustrophobia yes. stuff 
Eric is pro, which is so funny because I, I know Chataway is a great, he's a very gifted composer. He's done everything. But for me, he's always, he's the banjo guy from the pilot of Voyager, you know? <laughs> um, so when I hear these really cool, like almost atonal things that are, that are, you know, Garrick's psyche as he's, as the claustrophobia is, you know, setting in and stuff. And it's really cool, cool music right there. Um, uh, I'm sure. Well, we going over on time, but we are discussing two episodes. Okay. So well, what's, what's this stuff about? Um, are, you know, are these two distinct episodes and then the what it's about sense or well i don't know i think there's so much going on and if you but if you try yeah. to sum up something maybe it's um what what people are willing to do to to meet their ends you know and in character you know because what we do see is that individuals and species in this episode are both making dramatic moves based on their character and overcoming obstacles and um you know, you got you've got you've got Garrick and his claustrophobia. You've got Worf and his honor and his fighting, and you've got um, you know then you've got the the large scale stuff like uh, what Ducat's willing to do, basically sell out his people and and um, and et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think it's it's something about character coming through in one's actions or something of that nature. Caesar. Um. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, there's, it's it's hard to pinpoint everything because there's so yeah. much that goes on in this episode. I mean, you can say a lot of the, a lot of this episode on the outside, it's about moving the story arc forward, which which this which these two episodes most certainly do in a big way. Um, so in that respect, it it definitely holds up for me because it's it's more it's more the main story arc. Um, what Stephen was saying about um the inner the inner part of it, the things that Garrick and and Worf were going about going on and all the other characters I'd agree with. Yeah, I, I would have a hard time um, just picking one thing. It's just there's too many things going on. And usually that doesn't work, but it kind of does here, you know? Um, and then the first one, Garrick, his relationship with his father, you know, and, and, and um, needing that acceptance from his father. And, you know, in the second one, well, it's a bit obvious, but, you know, Worf and, and his honor, it's okay, we've dealt with that sort of thing before, but um, there's just, that's just, just two small examples, but there are so many moments that um, it's hard to kind of uh, pick one. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, this episode kind of felt, it felt more like a miniseries type um, feel to me, you know, with, with all the things going on, you know, the things that you get from, maybe that's why those, there were rumors when DS9 ended they were going to do miniseries because they, they were really mm-hmm. good, these two-part episodes. Yeah. And, and it's so very cinematic, and that's the best way I can describe it is like a, a, a gripping miniseries. You know, it's funny because most of the time, you know, I don't, in DS9 almost, they really didn't ever use part, they never put part one or part two in a title. You know, the only time that was ever really done was if something was actually aired as, as a 90-minute event, two-hour mm-hmm. event, and then later they broke it up into two parts for syndication. Um, so, but usually the, the lack of the part one or part two in the title is works because of the way the show is. It's like they're cliffhangers at the end of a season. It's not really a to-be-continued. It's just it's a little bit cleaner of an end, and it's a little bit cleaner of an open in the next. This is one of the few examples where it's just like, you know, this, this part two... Um, is weird without the part one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, so, 
it's 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 sure is is nice to be able to just watch them in one ninety minute sitting. Um, I don't remember what it was like, you know, watching forty five minutes and then waiting a week and watching forty five minutes on this one. <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, it's funny when we first when we first started this, I kept thinking to myself there were a lot of cliffhangers in um, <laughs> like season ending cliffhangers. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure it was several episodes back. You're like, oh no, there weren't that yeah. many season yeah, ending. <laughs> but yeah. it feels like it because they have so many of these yeah. types of episodes in the middle of the season. Okay, moving on. Six degrees for in uh, purgatory shadow and. Um, um, by Inferno's light. light. Uh, so we got uh, Adam's got two, Steve's got one. Zero. Steve's got nothing. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> uh, okay, Steve, I'll let you decide. You want to go first or second? I'll go first. James Fran plays the Jem'Hadar first that yields to Worf, admitting that all he could do is kill him and not defeat him. In the opening episode for Next Gen's seventh season, he also played. Uh, Lieutenant Barnaby in the episode Descent Part 2. He and the Enterprise G's crew destroy a Borg ship using a solar fusion eruption. Who is in charge of the Enterprise at this time? Uh, okay. So the opening, the seventh season. Descent. Yeah, I remember there's all sorts of strangeness going on in people in different places. Mm-hmm. Is this something like Dr. Crusher? You are correct. It's Dr. Crusher. All right. Nice. Uh, I knew you'd get it since it was a next-gen question. Yeah, yeah. It's my strength. <laughs> Two to one. Adam. Yes. In multiple episodes of Enterprise, Haran, same guy, also played the mysterious figure from the future that guides the Suliban as part of the Temporal Cold War. The character was never given a name, but uh, by the second season, the production was referring to him internally by a fan-coined name. What was it? This is multiple choice. Was it A... Humanoid figure, B, future guy, or C, Dr. Claw? <laughs> I'm just going to make a stab at it. You would ask an Enterprise question, <laughs> which I don't know a lot about. I'm going to go with B. B, future guy. You are correct. <laughs> Dr. Claw was also a fan coined term, but uh, the production people didn't use that. But they did start calling him future guy. Future guy. Future guy. All right. So what do we got here? We got three to one. Moving on. Dr. Bashir, I presume, Season 5, Episode 16, Production Number 514. Original air date, February 24th, 1997. Teleplay by Ronald D. Moore. Story by Jimmy Diggs. Directed by David Livingston. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Brian George as Richard Bashir, Max Gradenchik as Rom, Chase Masterson as Lita, Badwa L. Gwindi as Amsha Bashir, J. Patrick McCormick as Rear Admiral Bennett, and Robert Picardo as Dr. Zimmerman. <laughs> Bashir is chosen as the model for the new version of Starfleet's holographic doctor program. Bashir is informed by the pro- is informed by the project director, Dr. Lewis Zimmerman, the scientist in charge. As part of the process, Zimmerman must learn everything he can about Bashir, from childhood quirks to his interpersonal relationships. A procedure that includes interviews with Bashir's families, friends, and coworkers. Unfortunately, Bashir is not close to his parents and does not wish them to be a part of the process. Unknown to everyone else, the Bashirs are hiding a family secret that could ruin them all. Julian, Zimmerman is going to file a report saying that Dr. Bashir is unsuitable for computer modeling because of his suspected genetically enhanced background. You know what's going to happen when that report gets back to Starfleet Medical? 
It's going to be a formal investigation. Uh, now, if uh, for the <clears throat> uniform, the first episode we discussed today was not quite as good as I remembered it, I was surprised that Dr. Bashir, I presume, was actually slightly better than I remembered it. Um, so let's just start right off the bat and talk about um, Bashir, the genetically enhanced superhuman guy. Yeah. So you, my mm-hmm. well, what I'd like to discuss is um, if we felt that it was out of left field, if we felt that they dealt with it appropriately, and if we feel that they dealt with it appropriately in the rest of the series, and was it therefore a good idea or a bad idea to do this? What were you about to say, though? I I um I I think they did I think they did handle it well I think it's 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 cool to come up with a revelation like that but it didn't it didn't fly in the face of anything we've really seen it, it was totally plausible that someone could hide that um and we know he's a smart guy and the thing was I I, I really like Bashir as a character I always did throughout the series and this just made it more interesting for me mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like oh your favorite character is Superman you know it turns out you know or something like that and so I thought I thought that was cool and and kind of you know off topic a little bit but as the episode as a whole this may not be like the best episode ever but it is an example of one of those that for a trek fan it's a lot of fun because you have the obvious connection with voyager of course um with picardo being on there but you also had references to the genetic engineering and Mm -hmm. and that stuff so there's just a lot of fun stuff you know in this for me yeah when i when i look back on when i looked back at the storyline i kind of thought it for some reason, I thought it took place maybe later on in the sixth season or something like this, and I couldn't didn't remember it happening in the fifth. Um, so watching this episode when it came up, I was like, "Oh, they did this in the fifth season," so it made a little bit more sense to me. And I I look at it now, and I you know I like it better because I think they did kind of handle it well. It added it adds more depth to Bashir as a character, and um, I think the the superhuman you know thing that gets placed on him is I don't. I just think that's the stigma of genetic engineering in in the Star Trek world, and I don't later I don't see him as super superhuman going forward. And they obviously they don't they have like little things that here and there that pop up, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really change him. You know, he doesn't start he doesn't doing he, he doesn't start performing miracles or you know <laughs> yeah. yeah you know saving um old women from being mugged or anything like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, from the point of view that everybody else has like a backstory and Bashir kind of didn't have much. Yeah. You know, it was cool that they gave him this thing. Now, Sadig has talked about he didn't really care for this. He didn't care that he didn't know it was coming. He had no input on it. He didn't care. Uh, he didn't He didn't care for the way that they dealt with it in the future. But uh, one thing I like about it, and, and you know, and yeah, we're looking back and kind of re-explaining things, but it actually in a lot of ways made sense to me. Remember how Bashir, for example, he... He missed being valedictorian or whatever by like yeah. missing one obvious question that was, uh-huh. you know, well, that we makes all got tired sense of if he purposely missed an, an easy question, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and he just tells this story over and over about how I can't believe I made such a stupid mistake. Well, <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it was just a perfect example of him, you know, keeping himself from um, doing anything that was too perfect. Right, yeah, yeah. Sure. you know, so you can you can explain it, and it, and it kind of works for me. So I I've never had a problem with it in that sense. Um, yeah, definitely, Brian. I would definitely agree. I didn't think about it in that terms, like you know, it gives him a background. I didn't think about like his background. I think because we hear that whole that whole tired line. Oh, I missed the I wasn't the Bella Victorian. They use that over and over again. And that's really all we know about his background. Mm-hmm. That in tennis, 
And um, so, yeah, I'd agree with you. I didn't think about it that way. Um, one thing I, I just wanted to say, the eugenics wars thing, <laughs> it's, it's a perfect example. And again, for our listeners, we all here love Star Trek. We love all Star Trek because we love Star Trek. But we do have our favorites. Um, another example of why DS9 is my personal favorite is just, you know, what happens here? They reference the eugenics wars, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, they say, this is why we have to, do, aside from the fact that, yeah, he says 200 years ago and it should have been more like, yeah. <laughs> but forget of that. Um, uh, you know, he, they reference the eugenics wars in a respectful way, you know, as opposed to say, whoops, as opposed to say, when Voyager. You know, Voyager, they went back in time to the 90s L.A. and there were no eugenics wars going on. <laughs> you know, and they put like a picture of the Botany Bay up on a back wall saying, yeah, we know there should be a war here. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, I, I have read the, the con novels and they do explain <laughs> the whole war in a way that it could have been happening without us knowing about it and all that stuff. But that's not all. That's novel. That's not canon. I'm just saying, um, you know, DS9 would never – ever do anything they even have to have Worf saying we don't talk about it to outsiders <laughs> double triples you know it just would not occur to, to GS9 to you know well they have enough stuff camp. going on well they have enough story go- enough stuff going on they don't need to explain other series <laughs> but they but they don't they don't stuff. mess with what's been established they, they respect it in a way anyway yeah. um so you know, oh, by the way, Lita looks really good in a towel. By the way, yeah, yeah, I get that out there. Well, I thought she looked better without that, though. <laughs> <laughs> that might be, yeah, that might get. They might have got more viewers, you know. <laughs> they could have, they could have been still going on if they just had her walking around without anything. Yeah, on. if she acted like a Ferengi woman, it would have been really cool. There you go. <laughs> You know, actually, that's one thing I thought I had. It was Zimmerman. He should have reacted a little more, right? <laughs> I would think so. Yeah, how, I guess he's just used to seeing naked chicks walking around. So that's, that's something that I do want to ask about, though. So, so originally, um, th- this story was conceived as uh, with the, with the uh, Zimmerman shows up to use Bashir as the LMH you know, basis for the uh-huh. LMH. And then they added this stuff about his secret later, about his past as you know, um, eugenics um, tampering and stuff. Um, so it's funny that when I remember this episode, I, for as much as I love, I really do love Picardo and I, and, and, uh, and that he's on this episode. I seem to, I always forget it until I see him. Like I remember Dr. Bashir, I presume is the one where we find out that, that Bashir has been genetically enhanced, but I forget that Zimmerman and Picardo have yeah. anything to do with it until he walks on. Yeah. I'm the <laughs> same way. I'm the same way. I, I, so I it's, yeah. well, does that mean then that, that it would have been better off without him? Because, for example, do you realize, and I wrote it down because I was so surprised, Bashir's parents don't even show up in this episode until 15 minutes in. This is a 46-minute show. That's a third <laughs> right. into the episode yeah. before his parents even yeah. show up. And they're like the main thing yeah. in my head as far as what the episode is, right? Well, yeah. Well, the thing is, I wouldn't call it a waste, though. And the reason is, is because it, it shouldn't focus on ancillary characters, really. It shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't just be a stunt to bring on someone from another show, you know? let's If they're, if they're there and it's a fun supporting B story or something, that, that's great, you know? I, well, maybe it's because... Tonally, when you bring in Picardo, you're thinking humor, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yet, this is not a comedic episode, right? Even Although there is there is humor in it. The storyline is a little funny, but it's not like it's not really played for laughs. It's not like, but but the A story is such a heavy thing 
um, you know, with Bashir, that's such a heavy thing that, that it, that it, it just makes me, it just seems to make, almost make it, make me forget about Picardo's presence even. And, and then it makes me think, well, I almost would have preferred they'd brought him in in a full on comedy or something, you know, taking yeah, advantage of a different yeah. way. Yeah. But I agree with Steve. It's like, you know, I don't think I'm, if you're going to bring in a character in, it shouldn't be the main focus or at least not all the time. I know they've made characters from other series, the main focus, but I think that actually kind of makes this one a little different well, or separate from did. others. St. Zimmerman reminds me, of course, you know, Voyager did stuff where Barkley back on Earth was almost the main character. Almost. Yeah, that's true. Well, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just saying in this one, I think it it worked because the main storyline is Bashir. It's not, um, you know, the holographic doctor or or Zimmerman, although they play, they, you know, they do show the holographic doctor and that's, it's pretty amusing seeing the two holograms interacting with each other. But, um, you know, it it works for me. I I don't, I don't think it, I I don't think the episode would have been better without him in it yeah I think yeah and I think it's it's it is walking a tightrope because we have seen episodes especially early on that suffered from having an a and b story that were too that their their tone was too different you know if you had something too comedic mm, yeah. and too serious that's a problem that but doesn't think, really happen here no I don't yeah I don't think that's happening and I think furthermore he, the, the b story helps facilitate the a story I mean you know you mm-hmm. his presence he because of the way he is he brings the parents to to him despite his wishes things like that you know and so it's almost like the b story just helps the a story along even though it's tonally a little different you know you know and in, and zimmerman's the catalyst not only for bringing out bashir's you know secrets he also brings out of rom you know he forces rom to deal with his, true, true. his emotions. feelings for lita yeah mm-hmm. uh, as a side note i will say that i i do love picardo's performance here because it's subtle, but you even if you didn't, he didn't say you would know that he was Zimmerman and not the EMH. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Which is great. Um, and and um, also Chase Masterson, who I I always have loved, but you know before she was at best, you know doing an okay job in her performance. But I I think you can kind of see in the show as as she's getting better as an actress and and she's she's good in this episode you know for sure yeah i agree i agree yeah. Yeah. um so let's get back briefly to to um uh bashir and and what it's about um you know i remember this episode as being more of a you know a eugenics thing but um Watching it now, it, it definitely felt like it had, more, had a lot more to do with, um, you know, uh, um, uh, just a, a f- parents, you know, pushing their child or, or or wanting the best for their child, and then they have they have these misguided intentions, maybe, um, you know. Um, well, his mother has that line about we didn't do it because we were ashamed; we did it because we loved you. Um, what what are you guys thinking about? Yeah, I think it's it's kind of somewhere in that area, and maybe maybe going a step further with taking res- being responsible for your children. Mm-hmm. What happens too? I mean, you know, it's such a huge thing um, to raise a child, and the, obviously the ramifications and what can occur. You know, I mean, obviously people are their own people. It's not not like a parent is responsible for everything that a child does wrong or something like that, or, or when they become an adult. But you know, it, it's um, it's such a big deal to raise a child and the, you know, the decisions you take. And ultimately, you know, his father had to, you know, 
chose to do the right thing and, t- and take responsibility for everything, you know. I'd agree um, for sure. I'd also I'd add to that. It's like uh, it's also about dealing with repressed repression. You know, you know, obviously Bashir has spent a, a lifetime hiding this and repressing it and, you know, guarding it with his entire whole self that it's made him resent his parents. It's made him resent himself. And there's a lot of self-loathing that probably went into this. And you can use that in the B story too with, with Rom, you know, he was repressing his feelings for um, Lita. And um, to me, it says a lot, you know, just be yourself. Um, Let those feelings come out and, you you know, you'll be better for it. Makes sense. Yeah. Hmm, that's interesting. Fascinating. <laughs> now, of course, if Bashir had been himself, he would never would have been allowed entry into Starfleet Academy, I suppose. But, True. That's yeah. But I mean, you know, he had to deal with it. I mean, obviously, you can't deal with everything all the time in your life. That's I mean, the point though is that I, I love, I, I really appreciate that at the end of this episode, it's not. You know, it's not like they go and they make some secret deal with Zimmerman to keep it a secret or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, like right. that it's out in the open, you yeah. know, and then he doesn't, because you don't want your one of your lead Starfleet characters walking around for the rest of your series with some deep evil secret, you know? For sure. That's, yeah. just, that's not the show. Yeah. Um, so I like that it was out in the open like that. Okay. Well, you got anything else on this one? I think we're I good. Do not? No. All right. So, what's our current six degree score? Three, three to one, one, I believe. Yeah, three one. Yay, okay, I can tie today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Adam, do you like yeah. to go first or second? I'll go first. J. Patrick McCormick plays Rear Admiral Bennett. He gives Bashir's father the chance to spend a couple of years in prison in exchange for Bashir's staying in Starfleet. In the Voyager fifth season episode, Counterpoint, he played Prax, an officer in the Devore Imperium. He and his vessel board Voyager several times for inspections. Uh, when his captain appears to defect to Voyager, he must continue his hunt alone. What are Devore and what are the uh, Devore Imperium searching for aboard Voyager? What are they searching for? Aboard a certain board? kind of, a certain kind of person. Oh, good lord, I'm just blanking. Um, they're searching for a person. Well, not not a specific person, a certain kind of person. <sighs> um, damn. People with I'm, a certain trait. Are they looking for Balana because she has certain Klingon traits? I don't know if that's the same storyline I'm thinking about, but that's the one I go with. Uh, no, they're they're looking for peoples with a certain trait, not any specific person. They're looking for peoples with a certain trait. Um, they're looking for females. I don't know. I can't remember it. Nope, Steve. Um, I'm gonna be mixing up shows. But is it telepaths? You are correct. That, and that was a hard one. I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> that is right, though. That telepath. That, this is the one, right, where Jane Wake sort of has a romantic liaison with the guy, I think. Maybe. I think, maybe. I think so. And so they go, some of them go hiding and stuff because yeah. of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So we've got, we've got three, two. All right, Steve, to tie it up. Dun, 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 dun. played a Romulan commander that addresses the Romulan Senate at the beginning of the feature film, Star Trek Nemesis. What is he requesting the Senate do? So the beginning of Nemesis, the the Romulan commander addressing the Senate, and what's he asking them to do? 
That's right. Same same actor as Mr. Bennett, Admiral Bennett. Sorry. I see. I see. Um, gosh, you know, I can picture him in that scene. Um, oh, Adam, you got a chance. You got a chance. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. This is next gen. What? I said technically What's... this is next gen. Oh yeah, it's yeah. a movie though. Me. <laughs> um, to I don't know, perhaps um, make a move to censure. What's his name? I don't know. Adam. So this is the opening scene of, um, or in the beginning of Nemesis, when he's addressing the council, right? Mm-hmm. What is he, is he proposing unification with um, the, whatever, whatever the creatures are on that moon that they use for slavery? I don't know. The remix. Uh, he's the remix. To join Shinzon, to side with Shinzon. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. So, uh, whether we give it to you or not, you're still you're still a winner. No, I mean I couldn't remember exactly. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't remember. He walks out before he sets off that device. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. if okay. they had said, "Okay, we'll join," then presumably they wouldn't have killed them all. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I knew it was something. Anyway, cool. Okay, very very fast. Has everybody has everybody watched the Blu-ray at all yet for next? I, have, I haven't watched them all the way through, but I have checked it out. Wow, it's yeah. I'm very impressed. It looks incredible, doesn't it? Yes. Caesar, you watching yet? I have not. I've been like crazy busy. So yeah. <laughs> just, I haven't had time to watch Inner Light, but I watched Farpoint and um, Sins of the Father. And yes, they look incredible. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I'm so excited to get the whole series. I really am. It's it's awesome. It's everything I'd ever. It's it's better than I imagined. You know. <laughs> yeah. It's it's yeah. incredible because it just immediately makes the show feel so current and relevant. It blew my mind that it did that. I didn't anticipate that it would do that. <laughs> yeah. It really yeah. has. It I'm really has. Pleased. You know, it, we're almost better off getting it now because if they had if they had gone back to the the negative, you know, ten years ago or even six or seven years ago, it's not that the technology has changed since then, but they were doing those telescenes so differently then mm-hmm. that it would probably you know it wouldn't look so good. It, they'd probably have put some noise reduction on it and just a bunch of other crap. And, and and here they're just trying to make it as pure as they can, and it looks so great. And I'm so excited to get the entire series. And God willing, DS9 and Voyager. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all right. So we're going to see you guys back here in two weeks. We're going to do the next four episodes of DS9, and we're going to have a guest. Um, and then after that, we're going to finish out season five with two podcasts where we each, t- each time we're going to discuss three. So the next episode of our podcast, we're going to discuss four episodes. Uh, with a guest and then the episode after that we're going to discuss three and then the episode after that we're going to discuss three and that will be the end of season five and we'll have a guest on that one as well so gosh we're almost to the end of season five time flies <laughs> okay um follow us on facebook that's uh, facebook.com slash trek companion follow us on twitter that's at trek companion i really i have been sending out trying to send out a few tweets a week and i see some cool star trek news so it's a good place to follow us um leave us a review on itunes that would be the coolest thing you could possibly do um or send us an email that's trek companion at gmail.com uh, we had several of your emails this week and uh, you know thank you so much for taking the time um, and send us or send us a question like uh, Dan did, and we're we're happy to discuss anything. Um, so, until next time, take it easy. Take care, guys. See you.